This is Just Life on Radio Maria. My name is Helena and on today's programme we have Deacon Jeff Cook, who is a retired lecturer for the Department of Physiology, Development and Neuroscience and former Vice Master at St. Edmunds. He is now a Life Fellow and even has a name, a building named after him. Ooh, la, la. So thank you, Dr. Jeffrey Cook, for coming on the radio this morning. Good morning. Good morning and thank you. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, full disclosure, Deacon Jeff is, Dr. Jeff, is my deacon at our parish here at St. Lawrence in the Diocese of East Anglia. In 1978, Deacon Jeff was ordained as the first permanent deacon in the newly erected Diocese of East Anglia. He has chaired the Diocesan Commission for Dialogue and Unity since 1984 and was a member of the Committee for Christian Unity for the Roman Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales from 1984 to 1992. He's also served as a member of the Governing Council of the Cambridge Theological Federation from 2008 to 2014 and is now currently the Catholic member for the Methodist Anglican Panel for Unity in Mission. He is the chairman of the, he was the chairman of the Cambridge Ecumenical Council in 1999-1992 and also he has chaired the he still chairs the Shared Churches Ely group. He is also on the Diocesan Commission for Dialogue and Unity which advises Bishop Peter on matters relating to ecumenical dialogue and the interfaith relations. So are you blushing? Did you <laughs> You've certainly done your homework. <laughs> well, well, it helps that it's all on one website. <laughs> so Deacon Jeff is going to be speaking to you, my dear friends, about Christian <clears throat> unity. All last week, we had several programs looking at how some laity have gotten involved in Christian unity here in Cambridge. We've also had a few poems by an Anglican vicar coming on the radio who will be coming on again with some more poetry. Uh, that was what was his name? That was I will find it that was uh, Malcolm Geit he was on the radio and he shared some of that so today we're looking at it from a Catholic perspective some of you may have heard about Bishop Peter Collins being appointed to an ecumenical uh, canon, who is who was appointed ecumenical canon at Ely Cathedral, which is one of the, which is a big deal because that's not happened. I think this might be the first time. I don't know. We'll find out more in as the program stays along. Also, stay tuned to te- to hear a bit about Deacon Jeff's work in building shared buildings for praise and worship and sharing our faith with one another. But let's start off, Deacon Jeff. Did you grow up a Catholic? Did you grow up? How did, how did you get into becoming a deacon? No, I grew up as uh, as a schoolboy in Ipswich, which is in Suffolk, and I grew up as a member of the Anglican Church, which is what my family, the Church of England. Um, and then, of course, later when I went to university and then uh, started doing work in the university, I fell in love with a lady who is now my wife. And she was a Catholic. And uh, actually, it was about the time that uh, uh, John the Twenty Third was became Pope. I was very impressed with him and what he was doing. And I 
my own remission, uh, agreed to join the Catholic Church, and they very kindly received me into the Catholic Church uh, just before we were married. So that's how I got into the And we have Catholic. been grateful ever since, ever since. Deacon Jeff, now you come from a background of physiology, neuroscience. At, grow, so before, I mean, were you doing, were you in the thick of all this science before you got married to the lovely Pat? Yes, I was, uh, was, had been an undergraduate studying chemistry at the University of Nottingham. And then I came to the University of Cambridge to do my doctorate and was doing research there. And it's actually the, uh, my professor in the department I was in at that time, his assistant secretary had been at school with my, my now wife. And that's, I think there was a bit of uh, sort of matching. And <laughs> <laughs> see, see, planting seeds, planting. Uh, no, I love it. Yes. I love it. You'll never know how things turn out. Now, as an Anglican and as a growing uh, growing into Catholic, was faith a big? Th- was that an important part of your life? You apparently knew a bit about Pope John uh, John the Twenty Third. Was that in? Was that part of your world atmosphere? Your uh, yes, I mean, I'd been brought up at a. Well, I went to the school at Ipswich School, which was very much a Christian basis. Uh, obviously, the local bishop, the Anglican bishop, was one of the governors. And obviously the, the, uh, the training I had not only was very good from a point of view of being taught very things for my examination, but it did have a chapel, and obviously that was part of my life, uh, going to the chapel every day and uh, being seeped in that worship. Oh, spoiler alert, everybody. Uh, Deacon Jeff is now one of the governors. Well, I think you're on the board for several interfaith uh, church uh, schools in this area in Norfolk. And and Suffolk and Cambridgeshire, you're you're on the are you head of the board for St Bede's? Yes, I uh, yes I'm chair of the uh, board of governors at St Bede's, which is of course an interchurch school and a great success because it's an Anglican Catholic school, and uh, we do obviously if, if there's space available, people of other churches and other religions can come, but we're uh, very well oversubscribed. Yes. Yes, as as my fear as a mother. <laughs> so, so thinking if you can, no, 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 don't put any good words for me. So, uh, so it's uh, it's amazing that already at the beginning of your formation, you were already uh, the Lord was already preparing the path for you, letting and really not pushing you, I guess, or helping accompany you into this inter ecumenical world. Now, Deacon Jeff. So you become Catholic, and in the 60s, in our faith as Catholics, there was a, well, as you said, Pope John the Twenty Third, and also Paul the Sixth. We're already starting to bring to the forefront, to bring to the focus, Christian unity. What was it like uh, for you as, as you're becoming Catholic, uh, you're in the thralls of, of marriage and weddings, and, and also becoming a deacon? How important was Christian unity on the lips of priests during their homilies or in discussions at parish meetings? I think it was probably very varied. I mean, a lot of people were very enthusiastic. Some may have been much more cautious. But there was certainly a great, I think in the 60s, uh, there was quite a lot of enthusiasm and people really hoped that things would move to a much greater unity amongst the churches. And indeed that happened in the case of the United Reformed Church, which is, I understand, it was the Congregational Church joining with the Presbyterian Church. Uh, so that was uh, quite a quite a movement. 
So with uh, why why was it then why was it needed in the sixties? were churches falling apart? Were, was there warring? Was there was there fighting? Why was that? Why did it come to a head at that time in the sixties? I think people began to realise, and it was the wish of Christ that you know they be all be seen as one. If you're going to believe in Christianity, you don't seem to want to have a divided church. Definitely, definitely. Also, uh, so so we've got this, and then then in nineteen seventy eight. How long had you been a Catholic since nineteen? Well, so you I got was, married. I was received into the Catholic Church in nineteen sixty-two. Sixty-two. So uh, that's what sixteen years. years. <laughs> sixteen years. You become the first permanent deacon. What's that? Why in East Anglia? In East Anglia. East Anglia. What's the difference? I mean, we have lots of deacons. Why? Why was there? Was there not deacons before the seventies? Well, as you know, the Catholic Church has a threefold ministry of bishops, priests and deacons, and all uh, candidates for the priesthood are ordained deacon, first of all, and then usually after a year, then they're ordained to the priesthood. And the Second Vatican Council enabled it to be possible for men, uh, both single and married, to be ordained as deacons as a permanent order. And has it been successful? Are there still, we're like, nah, permanent deacons, that's not a thing anymore. Or is that still going strong? Very successful. I think in the diocese, there must be well over 30 plus deacons in the diocese now. I love it. We've got, um, in, in our in our area, we've got Deacon Jeff. We've also got Deacon John Luca mm-hmm. and Deacon John Bell. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm name dropping here. <laughs> <You are. laughs> All the amazing deacons we have here in East Anglia. And of course, that still is part of the diaconate as well as uh, gentlemen become deacons and then move on to the priesthood. But there is a call for this permanent life as this vocation as a deacon. Just as for anyone listening that might be thinking, what's the, what's the difference between? I mean, what would a permanent deacon do? What kind of what kind of things do you busy your life with? Well, it depends. A lot of deacons do several different things. Some of my colleagues who are deacons are chaplains in in prisons uh, and dealing with those sort of problems. Uh, others may be doing other things in the in the community and in their parishes. So it's obviously very much an order of service, and uh, they obviously will officiate in their parish or churches too. So. In the church, in the parish, in the mass, the deacon, ladies and gentlemen, are, is uh, he's usually got he's got the same colour robe, and but for priests they usually have one solid line, but the deacon gets kind of like a little big well, H. <laughs> you can tell if it's a deacon or a priest. A priest will obviously be wearing a chasuble. A deacon wears a dalmatic, and also the deacon wears the stole not round his shoulders but on the left shoulder and to the right hip. There you go, there you go, there you go. And then uh, in our parish, sometimes we have welcomers and they also wear, they don't wear as fancy ones, but we've got little stalls as well. All working towards celebrating the liturgies. And the deacons are in charge, if I remember, the protectors of the liturgy of the word. And that's why the deacon reads the The, gospel? The deacon always reads the gospel. Yeah, there you go. And deacons can also help with the homily? Yes, yes, the deacons can preach, yes, at the invitation of the parish priest. And uh, we uh, do baptisms, uh, marriages and funerals. Uh, again, 
with the authority of the, of the local uh, parish priest. I'm putting you. I'm putting you on the spot now, Deacon Jeff. Uh, uh, for the for the deacon to do a marriage, uh, is it? Here, I'm going to be very controversial now. Oh, hold on to your seat. Is it? Is it just as? Do you still have to get a priest to sign off of it, or is that nope? They both have. They all. They both been ordained with this with a sacrament, and they're able to both officially officiate the marriages. You don't have to get an extra sign off or anything if a deacon does it. You have to be have the authority of your priest to do it, mm-hmm. the parish priest, and then uh, yes, the deacon does the service. There you go. There. But not a nuptial mass, of course. You must have a priest for that. Oh, good point. Good point. Good point. Not a nuptial mass. There you go. But a lot of people will go to the service of marriage. And the deacon will be there. I mean, the deacon is there really to act as the sort of, well, to confirm that they've made their vows. I mean, the couple are marrying themselves, each other. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Deacon Jeff. All right. Stay tuned. Now that you, my dear friend, know a bit more about deacons in the Catholic Church, a bit more about the history of how uh, young Deacon Jeff grew up and is coming, and we're in the... The times of the 70s and 60s where Christian unity is taking a a big part in what's on the minds of priests, bishops and the popes at that time. We're going to dig a bit more into what is a commission for dialogue and unity. Stay tuned. Yet we believe. That was Marty Hoggin with We Walk by Faith. This is Just Life and on today's program, we are wrapping up our Christian Unity Week with Deacon Jeff Cook, who has been speaking to us a bit about his past growing up as an Anglican, going to a a faith school in Ipswich and how meeting Miss Pat uh, helped him. Well, not just that. The Lord had had a lot to do with it as well. He became Catholic and in 1978 was ordained as the first permanent deacon in the newly erected Diocese of East Anglia, in which he still lives, works and celebrates and shares and uses and does his continues his mission for our faith in the Diocese of East Anglia. Currently, our bishop here is Bishop Peter Collins, and Peter Collins, is bishop, is head of the Diocese Commission for Dialogue and Unity. Now, at the beginning, early 80s, in 1984, Deacon Jeff uh, became chair of the Diocesan Commission for Dialogue and Unity. So in the 80s, what was different? I feel like now, Deacon Jeff, that I can walk into any church uh, and and be along with the service and, and, and not have a, a, a look to, well, maybe a, a curious look as to, uh, oh, shall we invite her to tea afterwards? In before that, what was the strife? How come the discussions need to even be about Christian unity? Well, I think if you go for, from the 60s to the 80s, there's enormous uh, sea change. I mean, in the 60s, it would be very difficult <clears throat> to go... Uh, for a Catholic to go and worship in another church. Now, there's absolutely no problem about that happening. Obviously, uh, a Catholic would not necessarily expect to receive the sacrament in another church, but at least we're talking to each other, working together with each other. There's an amazing sea change. 
and that's very much due to, well, I think, people like Pope John, the, well, well, Saint John the Twenty Third as he is now, and uh, Paul the Sixth, and a lot of the other popes that have done enormous amount, and so the relationships between the churches are much more cordial and very productive in some of the work they do for the communities. All right, let's start with with your involvement. How? What were some of the projects? What did you guys do to help? open those doors to help open those welcoming arms? Well, I think people going to meet with each other and obviously know each other. And then in an area like East Anglia, where there's a lot of new building going on, we needed church buildings. And it's very interesting that they, what, they used to talk about local ecumenical projects. Now, there's a church just outside Cambridge, Bar Hill, which predates even those. Uh, originally, it was a church which was used for the local population. The Catholics were not involved at that stage, but the ministers who ran that church, one was an Anglican and one was a Baptist, and they were doing very well and getting services and looking administering to the people in that area. That was Bar Hill. And that then became even wider because in an area where you're building lots of new uh, housing, like, for instance, in Camborne, the luckily, when that was being planned, the churches were given uh, land by the developers so that uh, we could build a church centre. And that was took quite a few years to raise the money for it, but now Camborne has a church centre which is used by all the churches, including the Catholic Church uses it for Mass. But uh, that is really showing how practical on the ground none of the churches could probably have afforded to build a building but together it was impossible and with some help from uh, the local government we were established a church centre in Camborne. Before the 80s in hospitals because there's chaplains there's chapels and hospitals and jails and places where uh, even in airports, would they have had separate chapels, a Catholic chapel, an Anglican chapel, a Methodist chapel, or even back then, would they have one shared space? Do you you remember? I I wasn't involved in that sort of thing, so I couldn't really tell you, but I do now know that uh, the chaplaincies, the, the chaplains in prisons and in other places, hospitals, do enormous amount of work together. And I can remember being at the ordination of, one of our my colleagues who was a permanent deacon in the in the cathedral in Norwich, and it was very interesting. He is a chaplain to a prison, and he's a co-worker. The Jewish chaplain and the Muslim chaplain came to the ordination oh. because they wished to back and support their colleague. So I think that shows you how things have changed enormously. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. All right. So we're going into the 2000s now. You served as a member of the Governing Council of the Cambridge Theological Federation um, and was and has helped out with the Methodist Anglican panel for unity in mission. So it's not just Anglicans and Catholics, Methodists, as you said, in Bar Hill, mm-hmm. it was the Baptists. What were some of the projects that you guys helped uh, really unite there with it during those years? Well, when I was on the, uh, you say, the governing council of the Federation of Theological Colleges, that represents a, a whole range of colleges 
the Anglican <coughs> colleges. At that time, there was also a URC college, and uh, the Methodists had a number of their people training, taking degrees at the University of Cambridge. And there was also a Catholic body, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the uh, what was the name of it? It's not St. Edmund's or Margaret Margaret Beaufort. Margaret Beaufort. Uh, And so they were also members of the Federation. But I suppose most of the people would be undergraduates studying either at uh, the Anglican College, the Methodist one, or the URC for their ministry. But certainly Catholics were involved in that body. So would these... Are they mainly services where we're all we all gathered? They all gathered together, and they all found a common ground with what the prayers are said, what liturgy is done, or does it take more than just praying together? Yes, I mean the, the uh, their training. A lot of them were taking uh, University of Cambridge degrees or other bodies, but clearly the uh, they would have not just. Going to, they go. We're going to lectures and things, and being trained as uh, to become priests or ministers in their church. So, does that happen now? Uh, do you know if part of this growing Christian unity is in seminaries? Are the deacons now becoming well, young deacons becoming well, pre-deacons becoming deacons. Do they get trained in other faiths uh, and how to speak and pray with other Christian brothers and sisters? Well, as I'm not a member of any body like that at the moment, I can't really give you the up-to-date view, but clearly there is understanding, and I'm sure that that's part of their curriculum. But I I don't have any first-hand information on that. Certainly the Cambridge Federation of Theological Colleges has changed somewhat. Um, I think the Methodists had to withdraw, and uh, I think a lot of the URC... People are now doing other things. I mean, it's very interesting. Westminster, they've got other projects going ahead which involve other religions, uh, Jewish, Muslim, and uh, they've got a, uh, a building there on that ground which they've done a lot of interfaith work. Excellent. Interfaith. Oh, so it starts with Christian unity and then once our brothers and sisters are, are united, mm. we get together and then we, we fan out into our other faiths as well. Now, let's just step into the world of science back into did you when you became a deacon, did you did you have to give up your doctorate degree or did you have to give up all of that? Or no, were you no, able to no. <laughs> like, no, no, I'm now in the the the, relig- the church of God. Can't, can't t- touch a microscope. Who does that? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I still uh, actually still work in the laboratory. Oh. And in fact, uh, Helen will see that I'm wearing on my buttonhole a, a badge. Is it a monstrance? It looks like, or no, it's, no, maybe it's, it's just a cross. It's, it's actually a cross with a circle of DNA through it. <gasps> it's, the, it's the badge of the Society of Ordained Scientists. So lots of scientists are actually ordained in various churches. And there is a society in, uh, it started in St. George's House, Windsor, the Society of Ordained Scientists. Uh, it was established by... Uh, people there at the time, John Polkinghorne was on, and uh, it then became open to others. And there's a number of uh, people in America. There's a separate grouping in America, also members of the Society of Ordained Scientists. So 
You shouldn't imagine that science and religion doesn't work together. No, no, quite the contrary, quite the contrary. Did, oh, Deacon, this might be an embarrassing... I don't know. Uh, is it easier to uh, form relationships to reach goals working alongside fellow Christians or fellow scientists? <laughs> Even Christian say, scientists. So, I mean, a, a person who's very well known is... is Father George Lemaitre, yes. who uh, is the Big Bang Theory. Now, he actually started life as a physicist, and then he decided, uh, then he was in, I think, his First World War, and then he came out and also became a priest. And he was once asked, why did you do both things? And he said, well, there are two ways to the truth, and I chose both of them. Hallelujah, hallelujah. When you meet with your uh, with the ordained scientists, uh, do you is it is is it easier again? Is it easier to decide on how to pray together, on how to do things, or how to uh, chemically take apart uh, DNA from a strawberry? <laughs> is no. it is there challenges? Are there different challenges in the discussions, or do you feel like no, no, it's it's still the same. We're still the same people. We're still discussing the same topic and the same idea. It's just how we formulate the the how we what tools we use, what ways we use to get to the answers. Well, I mean, the example of the Society of Ordained Sciences, yes. I I interact with my colleagues in a normal way. Um, <laughs> we might talk about scientific matters but uh, and church matters. I mean, uh, I think that there's a very good relationship at that, that level. Oh, good. I will give you an example. Um, it's easier. Uh, it, sometimes I find it easier for moms, uh, I'm a mom, uh, to find and agree and share ways of raising children than sometimes talking about uh, our faith. So it's interesting how when you get down to the level, we're all going to be open and like, oh, well, I'll, I'll take on your ideas. Oh, I'll, oh, I'll try that. I'll try that. But then when it gets down to faith, there is a bit of a, a sticking point where like, mm, I'm not sure I want, I, I'm not sure I can trust that. I'm not sure I'm open to that. And that is what we've been working on since the 60s, before that, before time that, uh, this Christian unity and having that openness. This is Just Life on Radio Maria, and today we have been speaking about Christian unity with permanent deacon, uh, deacon Dr. Jeff Cook. We've shared a bit about how his life has led him from Anglican school child to deacon, Catholic priest, uh, Catholic deacon, and also on the chairing the Diocesan Commission for Dialogue and Unity in the Diocese of East Anglia. So the big news from last week, Deacon Jeff, was Pope Francis and the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, commissioning Anglican and Roman Catholic bishops from across the world as they together joined in an evening prayer in, vis in a Vespers at the Basilica of St. Paul's which is outside the walls of Rome. So they 
we're finishing off Christian Unity Week and then over the weekend, our own Bishop Peter Collins joined uh, bishops, Anglican and Catholic bishops from across the world uh, in Canterbury and also in Rome, touring the different places and having discussions. That's really interesting that part of the conference that they called a conference was physically traveling, making a short pilgrimage to this site of St. Paul, traveling to the site of St. Thomas Beckett, traveling, praying, working together. And in a way, when we think of Christian unity, we think, oh, how can we pray? How can we do it together? But sometimes it means it's something a bit more traveling, working, having dialogue like that. Is that the way to continue to go, Deacon Jeff, working together, traveling together, journeying together? Absolutely. And I think it shows how much the churches have come together over that period that certainly I was involved in from the 60s now to 2023, 24. Uh, that, that is amazing. I don't think in when I was first joined the Catholic Church, one would have dreamed that this would ever happen, but it's fantastic. And I think that it says everything about what church unity can achieve. I love it. And it's just, you can see it in the pictures. You can see Pope Francis and Archbishop Justin Welby together praying the Vespers. You can see loads of picture, oh, there's pictures of Bishop Peter Collins uh, at Ely Cathedral. You can see loads of pictures, but it's not just in the pictures that it's making. It's in the, the, the lady, in the folks on the, what we might say, the front field, front field, what's it called in war? We're not in war, but when you're in the front lines, there we go, front lines of people. So you've been helping with Shared Churches Ely Limited. And some of those projects was, one of those was the Shared Church in Camborne. Mm -hmm. We we talked about it briefly, but can you share a little bit more about how does that work? I mean, do they have, do they have a crucifix that gets flown in and out? Is it consecrated ground? Is there a tabernacle? But then what happens when a different faith is in there how does that work well first of all i should explain that the uh, body a shared church is Ely limited is a legal body because if you've got uh, a building and uh, ground it has to be owned by somebody mm. and so it's a legal it's a limited company which rep is represented by all the major churches in the diocese so you have anglicans methodists URC, Catholic, Baptist, the Society of Friends. These are people who are part of this company. And the building is owned by that company on behalf of all the churches. And the reason why we've done that sort of thing is, I guess, when you're building a church nowadays, you need enormous amounts of money and probably ever only unlikely that any particular one denomination or one church can afford to build a building entirely on its own. You need a lot of money. And that's why if you share these plans together, you can develop a building which is used by all of them. And uh, yes, if you go to the uh, churches, you'll see that in their worship, whether they have crucifixes or not, it's entirely the matter for the individual worship that's taking place. I would say one thing about it. The church that we built was an A-frame church, and as the church gets bigger, and it probably is getting bigger, it may have to be made bigger. So we can put another A-frame on. So we did think ahead 
I love that. So you can just knock down the wall and whoosh. Put another A-frame in. I love it. I love it. And that they are growing. They are they are doing an amazing job. I know it is Canon John Min is the Catholic par- uh, priest for Fisher. Uh, our Fisher, St. Fisher. Is that the, do you remember? Is that the parish that's usually well, that the, the parish that Camborne yeah. and also the Sawston. In Sawston. And they've got such a lovely team of catechists out there. Uh, a shout out to Paul Robertson uh, for their confirmation leader, Michelle Robertson, who's helping with their children's liturgy and their children's group. And we know uh, dear friends Joe Caprani is helping out with some of their music as well and with their young folks. They are they are a, a lively church. And they also, it's not just Sunday mass that they do. They do, it, your vision, the vision, not your vision, the vision of Christian unity is living out with shared meals, shared services. Uh, and it's not just amongst Christians. There is, they had a Indian service recently where they all came together and celebrated and worked together. They also help with fundraising for different projects there and service. Let's talk a bit about service. So we've got an evening song, which we can do together. We've, we've got some ecumenical prayer services. But when it comes down to service service and giving the love of Jesus to others, what are some ecumenical things that people have done since uh, well, <laughs> nowadays? The food banks, I would think, is one of the good examples of where people of faith and not necessarily any particular faith have come together to do things for their community. And without the food banks, a lot of people will be in very serious trouble. Does the government not lead it? Is it led by churches? I think you'll find that most of the food banks, uh, it tends to be local people banding together to do it. Amen. And then also homeless initiatives. Uh, There is, it happened in loads of churches in Liverpool, in Manchester, London, the opening up the churches Mm -hmm. for rough sleepers for the night and inviting them for a meal and a place that's kept warm. I mean, places like uh, Crisis at Christmas. I mean, you have there the chance to bring people off the street to have food over Christmas with other people and not be on their own. And very often to have some medical checkups and dental checkups. So there's a lot of things that people are doing on the ground. Again, Christian initiatives helping out, but again, working with brothers and sisters. Exactly. In in, in Christian faith and then other faiths as well. Any plans uh, for more buildings or anything for a charity? Tri- oh, oh, can you give us any details about coming up buildings? I can't think of any particular building at the moment, uh, but. Clearly, as new communities are formed, there will be a need to think about that. What about Whiz Beach? No, not Whiz Beach, uh, Water Beach, or there's those other areas outside that might be a bit too far for Bar Hill, or Bar Hill might not be big enough. Because uh, in Cambridgeshire and around the country, these new developments are building up, housing is made, families are moving in. Do you think there'll be another building for you guys to... Well, I mean, Northstow, I think that <coughs> two or three of the churches there are anxious to do something on that order. But uh, we have to wait and see, you know, what develops, I think. Watch this space. Watch this space. All right. So we're ending on a positive note. Buildings, service, uh, the Pope and Archbishop of Canterbury. What do you hope uh, to anything else that you guys are going to, our hopes or our goals for the East Anglia Commission of Dialogue and Unity? 
Well, I suppose the, the ultimate goal of all the churches is to be one. Amen. Oh, oh no, no, no. We're going to rewind. There's one more thing I wanted to share that uh, going back to St. Bede's and the Interfaith School. So it is an Anglican Catholic co-run faith school. It's an interchurch school. Interchurch school. school. That's yeah. the, why, why I call it interchurch instead of interfaith? Well, it's because it's two Christian churches. It's okay. not other faiths that are involved. In- People of other faiths, if there's space there, are very welcome to go. And then how does that work? Like, do, is there shared, they've got a chapel. Do they share time? Do they have a mass? Do the Catholics only go to the mass? Do the Anglicans only go to the service? Or do they all go together? How does that work in an inner church school? Yes, uh, we've got two, ch- there's an Anglican chaplain who's on the staff of the uh, school and the, the local parish priest act as the Catholic chaplain. And clearly, if they, they'd be welcome to go together to a service to understand each other, they obviously wouldn't necessarily, they would have to stick to the, uh, the regulations of their own faith, obviously. Um, but uh, yes, of course, they work together. And I think it's very good because it's bringing young people of the church of the future to understand each other. Ah, to understand each other. Oh, good, 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 good. And I know that uh, as we... As these young people grow and see all the possibilities of learning together, serving one another and praying together, that Christian unity is going to be climbing closer and closer and closer. Deacon Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Before we go, I must ask one more thing of you. Could you please uh, lead us in a prayer and uh, give a deaconly blessing on our listeners? Well, that's very kind of you to ask it. I would say that we say the Lord's Prayer together and then I'll give a blessing. Perfect. Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. name. Thy Thy kingdom kingdom come, thy thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.